Hey everybody, it's Garth Kravitz. Happy opening week of baseball season. You're listening to the Playball Podcast. All the plays, all the drama. Actors talk sports. Now here's me and Sean. So hey, Sean. Uh, Garth. Uh, you surprised me. I did. I didn't know someone <laughs> was going to call my name. I'm right here. Wow. Um, so much going on. Yes. There's so much going on, and I, I it's that time of year. Not just uh, in in New York, but yes. <laughs> but in sports in general. But I wanted to touch on something right away that just news is just sort of happening. Okay. That New York just passed a law that is allowing MMA, mixed yeah. martial arts, mm-hmm. to uh, to now be performed and performed performed that's wrestling but but to be to be have these competitions uh you know in in the uh, the greatest uh venue in in sports madison square garden right and uh and you're not a fan i'm well i like madison square garden (laughs) yeah well who who doesn't (laughs) that's right jordan Uh, loved it yes he did so did kobe (laughs) yes yeah everybody but uh, the knicks when they played Jordan and Kobe, but That's yeah, right. I'm not a big uh, proponent of MMA. I, I know that puts me in the minority and makes me, I think, officially a fuddy duddy. But no, no, there are a lot of people that don't like MMA. Okay, good, I'm with them. Now, the 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 reasons that New York was not liking MMA and was bashing it for so many years, and there were still actually members of the you know state senate that were debating about this that still were talking about uh, how it's barbaric and they don't want it and they lost. I right. Mean, they, they, you know, MMA is coming in, mm-hmm. but I'd like, I want to hear your, your side of it before I, I bash your, your, you, I'm going to well, bash you. Y- y- sure. See thanks. how violent it makes me already. Just yeah, talking exactly. About it? Well, this is what it does to people. I, I, I'm a traditionalist, I guess. I mean, I guess that's how I would, I would, if I had to categorize myself, I would, as far as my, my sports, uh, passions go. And we're in a, a time now, where we're coming out of a, uh, a a major steroid and HGH scandal in baseball, we are dealing with the throes, really, of the revelation that the NFL has covered up their concussions response to and, concussions. Right, all the violence they're trying to get rid of. It exactly. Sport, right? Hockey is dealing with it in their way, trying to weed fighting out of their games. And now we have this sport that's been really gaining in popularity over the last 10 years and it feels like it's just been riding this wave right and you know no questions really asked about this what when boxing started losing uh sort of the interest of the the public it was thought to be it was because well it's a violent sport and what kind of society do we have and suddenly mma comes in and says well here's an idea let's lose the padded gloves and let's be able to hurt each other with every part of our body mm-hmm. and um and most of these matches end with one of the competitors not being able to continue obviously a lot of the times it's a submission hold sure but some guys get knocked out but and, right. most guys get knocked out right? right ronda rousey got knocked out she did. um and 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 that I don't want to separate the men from the women in this thing because I find it appalling equally on and both well, they're sides equally of the, violent. Of the gender yes yeah. I just find it I do. I find it barbaric and not pretty, not not elegant, not magical, not the sweet science that they said boxing was that right. I never really quite bought into. Right. I just 
find it difficult to watch, and I and I just don't. Well, see, I and I, I'm a, actually a big fan of boxing. I like boxing when it's you? when it's done well, uh-huh. and it is the sweet science, and you do see these technicians yes. that you know. And I always did too. I, you could you could sort of make allowances because there were the people like Sugar Ray Leonard, there were the people like you know, Roy Jones Jr. and Marvin Hagler, and exactly. you know, well, those were but those guys were well, thought they, to be the more barbaric that's of the true. kind, right? But, but still, technically, there sound. was beauty to them. Muhammad Ali, right? Right. Um. Uh, but yes, there was there was a uh, a balance there that I and I, I I don't watch it, so I don't yeah. find it in MMA. And here's I can't what speak here's to what it. I think is happening with MMA though, mm-hmm. and why I think that New York is sort of getting on board. I think the the more popularity the sport gains and the 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 more momentum, and it hasn't been around that long comparatively. I mean, it's oh, been around a long time. Exactly. Well, it's it's. It's as old as the hills, Garth, yeah, well, but it hasn't gotten right. They didn't market it until then. But it, this is my point. Yeah. Back when it was in the hills, it was you know two guys bashing each other barefisted, and then exactly. it got to be bar fights, and then MMA started out as ultimate. Then it got to be college. Well, yeah, right. But <laughs> and then Fight Club, which we, That's don't, right, talk we about. don't talk about that. But um, but then it became it used to be called Ultimate Fighting. That's right. Right, but it was still at that point. It was still one of two things. It was either just some big lug bashing another, you know, big lug. Uh-huh. Or it was uh, the Gracie family doing all the, you know, all of the... Uh, Gracie the, Allen? No. More <laughs> she never seemed that violent to me. Royce Gracie. Oh, of course. This, this legendary family. Yes. And they were doing all these submission moves and all the grappling and all the ground game stuff. Right. But those were the two sort of sides of it. Right. Once these, they started adding things like Muay Thai mm-hmm. and Jiu-Jitsu and all these other things that you know are from the martial arts world, which That's is right. why MMA mixed martial arts. Yes. That what you started to see was a lot of these big sort of just guys that just bashed other guys really couldn't compete. Yeah. And you started to see more technicians and more tactical fighting and much much more in the way of submission. Right. Than you saw in just guys getting bloody and knocked out. Still happens, but but it's yes. much more te- technical. As the sport is gaining popularity, now what you're getting is you're getting people who are training to do that and compete that way. Mm-hmm. So now you've got guys like Conor McGregor, who's mm-hmm. a fantastic personality, great for the sport, right. but also a, a very, very tactically sound fighter. Right. Um, Recently upset. Yeah, but he's and he's very sad. Right. Oh, upset as well as he lost. Right. He's upset about that too. Yes. Yes. Uh, but he'll be back. He'll be fine. <laughs> um, and so will Ronda Rousey. I mean, right. they'll, you know, they'll yeah. What if I may interject real quickly because you just reminded me one of my one of my problems uh, hesitations. Okay, I'll say. All right. Is that the matches in my uh, perception go one of two ways? They either end up in a bloody. I don't know, vanquishing of the opponent that oftentimes ends in a, in a knockout or they end in about seven and a half seconds with a submission hold. And, um, it takes me back to sort of, you know, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield fights where suddenly somebody would bite somebody's ear or some guy would fly into the ring and you sat down for this pay-per-view event that lasted about a minute and a half and 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 oftentimes it's because the tacticians that you're speaking of are so good that there's not a lot to see it all happens in you know about 80 seconds and to me that's that's not enough bang for my buck no and i and i get that yeah. i get, i get that but i think that's part of the excitement too to me and again i'm not paying these 60 dollars for a pay-per-view if i was doing that maybe right. i'd be more upset but i'm yeah. usually you know <laughs> well, cuz because these fights are so short you can see them online like an hour and a half later. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's what over. time the fight started? Nine o'clock. Well, let's look at the replay. It's ten after. Whether you want to say that it's violent and you're upset about that, or that it's barbaric, or whatever you want, to say, or it's over too soon. Here's what it's not. 
It's you, not, sound, you make me sound prissy and impatient, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll make, I'll make Please you continue. It's not gay porn, which is what... That's true. Which is what a <laughs> New York City congressman okay. said it was. This is, first of all, Rosie O'Donnell's brother. Whoa. I want to get his name right here. It's uh, Daniel O'Donnell, who, by the way, is openly gay. Okay. He's an I assemblyman, not a congressman. He's okay. a New York City assemblyman, and he was part of, on the argument of not having the MMA. Okay. And his point was that it's, a, it's homoerotic gay porn. Wow. And, and I'm well, thinking... Well, so is everything else. That's, what I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. All sports are gay porn. Yes, they are. I point that out right now. Yeah. Especially lacrosse. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why that, that is the point. But it's not... That's, that, to me, is ridiculous. If you're going to make an argument about not having MMA, I understand if you want to say it's too barbaric or violent, but the truth of the matter is it's not gay it's, it's not gay, it's porn. Not gay porn. Well, that should be their branding now, right? MMA. MMA. It's not, not gay, gay porn. porn. Uh, this is not your father's gay porn. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, MMA is here. It's in New York. You don't have to watch it if you don't want to, but uh, it's sport. Well, you know, yeah. And I mean, and just to put it in bold type here, the reason New York is sanctioning it is because they they have now decided it's too much money to turn away. Of course, it is. And it's so, I mean, again, sport. there is no moral uh, objection that can overcome that when it no, comes down to it. But I do think that the more money that comes in and the more corporate sponsors that come in that are not the corporate sponsors they have now, like yeah. you know, energy drinks, but when Coca-Cola comes in and Xerox comes that's in. That's the question. Do in, you think that's coming? I think that when that happens is when that that you'll see that sport become Ooh. less barbaric and become more tactical because those people will insist on it being that way. When or if? No, I that think happens. when. Wow, I think, well, I think I th- that's a big if. I think there's I think that there's too much money at stake for these companies to stay this far away. I think there's too much association uh, risk involved in the event and I think it's it you know this isn't much different from the NFL but in the event and I think it's coming that someone dies in the ring. I think that's going to happen in the NFL before it happens in MMA. I don't want to bet on this. <laughs> I, I, I neither do I, but I do think that's going to happen. Okay, I'll, I'll finish. The, I'll finish this uh, this whole segment with one quote from uh, Daniel O'Donnell, okay, assemblyman in New York City, who and is gay quote, porn enthusiast, who is quoted as saying, "If I want to see half naked men fighting in a cage over a belt and a purse, I'd go to Fire Island." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great point. It's a great point. Fair enough. Um, moving on to uh, to a sport that I would like to beat the crap out of the New, the New York Knicks. Um, Something just is happening right now with the Knicks, which which has been an idea has been floated out there, yeah. which is whether or not Phil Jackson should step in and coach the team. Mm-hmm. But of course, because of his uh, health, which is getting better apparently, but his health is well, still yeah, not because great. he's not coaching. That's true, <laughs> um, and he's also not stressed. That's right. about winning. Yeah, um, that uh, he may coach half the games the home games basically the home games and uh, and then Kurt Rambis or whatever other sucker he pulls in will coach the uh, the away games do you think a I'll ask you two questions okay a is it something you think is viable and could really happen and number b mm-hmm. uh, well, will it make any difference whatsoever with this current Knicks roster <laughs> well exactly um well I think that I'll hang, I'll hang up and take your call off the air thanks that's great uh thanks Garth for calling in the I think a answers my answer to A answers B as well. I I think <laughs> if this were any other club, and I mean talent, I'm talking about uh, uh, a a future that has any promise outside of Kristaps uh, Porzingis. I I I don't I don't see how anybody would say it's a good idea for him for him as for a him, legacy as for or for, for him, him to coach half the games i don't know what you're gaining by having him on the bench for half the games because technically isn't he coaching now 
I mean, isn't he? Yeah, and and if he is, he's doing a pretty poor job of it. Right. And I I don't think Kurt Rambis is a great coach. I don't, and I think you, whoever you, you don't do have to bring think in, about Kurt Rambis. His the numbers don't lie. Exactly. Career coach wise, who did he coach? Was it the was it the Bucks? The Minnesota Timberwolves, the Timberwolves and the Lakers, and they were horrible. Yeah. If you then do hire maybe an up and comer, and if you want to call Luke Walton that, you can call him that. I'm not going to you know get in your way about yeah. it. I don't necessarily believe it, but fine. Make it's Luke Walton. He's our bright star, and he's the 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 coach of the future. And what we're going to start off with is cutting him off of the kneecaps and having him only responsible for half the games, telling our entire team that the real coach stays home while your babysitter takes you on the road. I have no idea how that's a good idea. If Steve Kerr uh, only coached the home games, and Luke Walton, who coached the Golden State Warriors right. for the beginning of the season when Steve Kerr was out with, with the back surgery, uh, it would out make, of necessity, right. if, he, if he said I was only going to coach half the games, they would say, no, thank you, Steve. We'll just have Luke Walton, who just won thirty of his first thirty-two games right. with you out with you out with the back surgery, because we need a coach that's going to show up all of the time. But also, sort of a moot point because that team is a great well, exactly. Team. And then you then you get into yes, it's all it's apples and oranges, absolutely. So do you think then 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 fine? So Phil not coaching fifty games a year, right? Phil not coaching the home games. Yeah, that you're looking at. You think that he's going to bring in a disciple of the triangle. So it's yeah, Luke Walton, that's Brian Shaw is the other Brian name Shaw. That's out right, there. or Kurt Rambis, but not it Thibodeau. Stays on. He will decidedly not play the triangle. Yes, yeah, he won't play the triangle, and uh, and he's he's kind of proven he's not that easy to work Do you with. You know what other name got floated out the other day? Uh, Isaiah Thomas. Patrick Ewing. Speechless. I don't know what to say about that. The people wow. are now talking about Patrick Ewing coming in and and coming in and coaching the Knicks. He's assistant. Who's he, who's he assist for? He assists. For you know what? I didn't know he was back in the game. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Right he's now. been assisting for a while. Wow. He's he's in, he's in Charlotte. He's okay. been an assistant in Charlotte for quite some time. Wow. Under Work, the tutelage of Jordan. I working mean, for the man. Listen. man. Wow. You can't beat him. Join him. Listen. He's, he's and then certainly... we'll lose together. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, but. Ewing never played that triangle. I don't know how how that would work. That would be that would that would be. I mean, and I I don't know if Patrick Ewing has coaching in him. If he, you know, uh, uh, I I would root for him. That I would actually probably be more likely to buy a ticket to go see a guy see coach. Patrick I'd go Ewing to see coach. Patrick Ewing yeah, coach yeah. before I go to see Phil Jackson coach. Um, simply because that that would be interesting. Was, and, was Kurt Rambis a Nick at some point? No, but he did look a lot like Phil Jackson when Phil Jackson. Maybe was that's a what Nick. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm more patient than most Knicks fans. I think mm. in that I'm still giving Jackson the benefit of the doubt. I'm still I don't why why waiting though? for him because he's not a dumb guy. He's not, but he's <clears throat> never put a, put together a team before in his in his career. He's never done that before. I feel I feel like we're this close, and I'm making my fingers very close. Yes, you are, because <laughs> I could say this close exactly and have to be very far apart on the radio, but I, I'm. I feel like we're this close to him surprising all of us with who he pulls in here that wants to come play for him. Wants to come play for him. Okay. I think yeah. it's LeBron. Wow. <laughs> Listen, with all the crap going on in Cleveland right now, he's not he's not going to stay there. Yeah, but you know, it, that's the, there was a lot of crap going on this time uh, last year in Cleveland and yeah. they went to the finals. They they're were, not they're not the best team in the NBA. They're not and they're not going to win a championship, but there's not a team in the East that can compete with Golden State. Uh Golden State. Yes. Here's our this is a perfect transition into what we're about to talk about, That's which right. is Golden State. Wow, this is a good segue. You thank this you. didn't take two and a half not minutes. Not at all. No. <laughs> not like the one we just deleted no. and over again. Never. Um you asked me a question the other day that I've been pondering, okay. which is is Steph Curry good for basketball? Yeah, what I I don't think actually that's what I asked. No? No. 
Wow. I think I asked. Yeah. Is Steph Curry bad for basketball? Oh, is Steph Curry bad for basketball? Yeah. So I, I was I was hearing it with a positive. You spin. were, you were. Uh, is Steph Curry bad for basketball? I'm not the one who asked it. I just, well, you know, I passed the question no, along uh, to you, and it gave me a lot to think about. Uh, uh, Mark Jackson, mm-hmm. former coach of the Golden State Warriors, yeah. uh, was quoted as saying that he was bad for basketball, uh-huh. in a very weird quote too. It was sort of like he's great, he's amazing, he's the MVP, he's the best player, but is he good for the game? Exactly. <laughs> He went, you know, he got he got right at, uh, you know, right in the the anti Steph Curry bandwagon with Oscar Robertson yeah. and a bunch of old basketball. You no, know, Hamilton, it's brilliant, and exactly. you know, Lynn's is it fantastic. good for musical theater? Is it good for musical? Is it exactly. good for Broadway? That's right. All these people are going to see it. You've got lines out. You know, they're they're they've they've sold out yeah, for a year and a half. Rap- is it brilliant good? rapper? It's yeah. award winning. Is it good for investors? Is it good for investors? So then you wonder why Mark Jackson is no longer the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Or the New York Knicks, for that matter. Or anywhere. Um, Here's what I think. I think that Steph Curry is amazing to watch. Yep. I mean, really, I've never seen anything like it in Mm -hmm. my life. And and I think it is polarizing a lot of people because a lot of older uh, basketball players have come out against him. Not against him, but like not happy with with what the game's turned into. Right. Um, But you also have people that are more relevant playing yeah. the game, watching the game, coaching the game, who uh, who thinks this this guy is the trendsetter and should be the trendsetter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, he plays defense, uh-huh. plays defense well. He's a great ball handler. Mm-hmm. He is the best shooter I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can throw the ball in from any position on the court, falling over, and it goes in. Yeah. The, Routinely. We're, we're late in the season now. We're nearing the playoffs. They're at the point now where – and I think this is – I'm not even exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Every single time he launches a three-point shot, the other four guys run the other direct, run back. Yes, the yeah. That like is no something one you see around, regularly. No yeah. one even hangs around for rebounds anymore. Yeah. And it's not just with him. It's with everybody else. The Clay Thompson puts one up. They all just run away. Steph Curry doesn't even stick around anymore. Yeah, yeah. he gets a shot off uncontested from anywhere inside of 48 feet, yeah. and you see guys on the opposing bench kind of throw up their hands saying, oh, oh how did you leave him open? Well, and this is the thing. It's not even about being open. He had, he had a play the other night where he – I don't know how much better you could have covered him. Yeah. I forget who they were playing, but he was that, all that over him. so quick. Yeah, and he just gets rid of the ball so quickly. But here's the knock against that, right? That when you go into gyms now and you see kids, they're all running to the three-point line. Uh-huh. And there's not a lot of passing. There's not a lot of low post play. Uh, big men, sort of unnecessary, really, with a team like Golden State. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you don't need that. You've got... Three guys that can Although shoot. They, and they do have a couple of good big men. They do have a couple of big men, but you've Andrew got three Bogut, guys yep. that can shoot from outside, lights out. Mm-hmm. You've got Draymond Green who can do just Great about anything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a, a, a rebounder, and you don't need a guy to post up. <laughs> so if that's what's happening, we're going to see players start to trend that way and players start to, to train to play that way. Mm-hmm. Um then we're talking about a change in the game. We're talking about a change in the way the game is played. I don't know if there was this big a change. Maybe you have a better idea of whether there was this big a change when Jordan came out and when Jordan was in his heyday, whether or not that really changed the way other teams set up their rosters and the way other teams played the game. Because Jordan, I feel like, as amazing as he was, they were still playing very fundamental Basketball, pass the ball, low post, that kind of stuff. Right. With Steph Curry, that that's changed, right? Well, the on the Jordan question, something that did uh, did unquestionably happen. Now, whether he really was responsible for this uh, or not is, you know, I think 
I, I tend not, I tend to think not, but Jordan's arrival coincided with the real explosion of the NBA. Sure. Bird and Magic saved it, and they created a, mem- a momentum that opened the door for when Jordan showed up for there to be the, he, the NBA that we know today. It. Right, he perfected right. it. Exactly. But but he also like he also led the, the monetary juggernaut that the NBA is today. Sure, jersey buying and all that stuff. Yes, the right. Air, Air Jordans, right. uh, sneakers, all the, the all the merchandising. Right, all that now stuff. every player's got a sneaker, yep. right? And every and there's one player that's the face of every franchise. All of that stuff. And he was but, also the first to do things like you know Gatorade sponsorship. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the, like the, the sponsorships. The, well, I mean, uh, Ma- again, Magic and Bird started that, but nobody you know sold moved moved the uh, product like Michael Jordan. But right? now that's become what every Hall of Fame or every great player in any sport has that's right a shoe has a clothing line yeah you have to get your brand right? right yeah right. uh so but what happened with with jordan and you can you just look back there you might even remember he showed up and then for about 10 years after there were no basketball in the nba was just kind of plain bad there were a few teams that were led by franchise stars Allen iverson um, right, the uh, Sixers, the Lakers, but you needed that great player, and everybody started drafting these guys that might be that player, and and that's pretty much what college basketball became. Everybody was trying to be like Mike, right? And you had a bunch of guys that were just driving to the basket that weren't as fundamentally sound as Michael Jordan was. His his fundamental game was so extraordinary that you missed it because it was also kind of shrouded by the athleticism that you know that he had and by that incredible uh competitive streak that that he had and a bunch of guys all generation of guys grew up trying to be like mike but not really practicing the game right and the nba went into a very fallow period of talent before it started to rebound in the in the mid-2000s um now, what also took place in that time was the was the the three point line coming into place. That was in the late eighties in college, okay. and uh, one of the big progenitors, I guess, of the three point game was Rick Pitino at Providence College. When when Rick Pitino like hit the hit the map, it was taking an unknown group of players from Providence College to I think it was the the Elite Eight in in college basketball, and it was shooting three pointers. Uh, that was that was it. Rick Pitino's math was: I want to be able to shoot at least thirty percent from three point land. If wow. we can shoot, in fact, thirty five percent from three point range, yeah, we'll outscore the. Well, by math, we'll outscore the opponent. We're doing better than teams that are shooting fifty percent from the field right. for two. Right. Right. And that became the game, and people didn't like that. But Rick Pitino made a name a name that way, and then suddenly people started looking at the three point line that way. It. But then Michael Jordan showed up, and the game went that way. The three-point game didn't really show up in uh, in sort of a, a strategic, tactical way until the late 2000s, the aughts, the late aughts. And, um, and Greg Popovich is part of this. Right. Um, but being able to shoot the corner three became a major part of NBA basketball. And Steph Curry is just the sort of the perfecting of that way of looking at the game. He is just the evolution of basketball. Well, and and it, the problem, if you want to say what the what, what the real problem is, if you want to say there's a problem, because I think there is a problem in basketball, it's not Steph Curry, it's the three-point line. And the three-point line changes the way the game is, is played. And now guys 
can shoot that shot. If we're going to get a whole generation of players coming in that they focus on shooting that three-point shot, there really is no point in, in shooting shots from inside the three-point line. No, you've got a seven-foot-three guy on the Knicks that has a better percentage from the three-point line than he does from inside exactly. the arc. And he should because he gets an extra point for that. Right. Why would you shoot from close in if you're a, as good a shooter from uh, from? But is the, the argument that the game has always evolved, right? The game has always evolved. From the game set- has always evolved, but, but they never gave extra points for for, that for, for further right. shots. Set shot, you didn't get an extra point for a jump shot. You didn't, no. You didn't get a layup, was fine, you didn't get an extra point for a dunk. That's right. In fact, they took dunks out of the game once Will Chamberlain became right. uh, became dominant. So so what's bad for the game is not Steph Curry, it's the three-point line. It's the three-point line, if you want to say that that's bad for the game. Because but don't blame took... Steph Curry for taking advantage of a rule that they put in 30 years ago. Now, the, the sad reality is no matter how much Anyone wants to go out and run by the three-point line and shoot? No one's going to be Steph Curry the same way that no one is Jordan. That's you right. Know? That's I right. Mean, Russell Westbrook is phenomenal. Yep. Kobe, same thing. You got guys that did that. Yep. But no one was Jordan. Nope. No one did it the way Jordan did. No. Kobe was close. Kobe was close, Jordan. but no one was Jordan. And LeBron is a whole other thing because no one is no one is that big and that good. Exactly. And no one ever will be. I mean, that's, that's right. just an anomaly. But with Steph Curry. That's just a skill. He's got a skill. He shoots it out there, and you know. But it's not. But let's not diminish Steph Curry either, no, right? No. I mean, because that it is not just his shot. It is that he is a otherworldly ball handler. Right. He is able to see the floor, so that he's not a guy. He's not just a gunner out there. No, you if, you're the, gonna, if you're going to, if you're going to leave a guy open, the other day. yeah, right. <laughs> he, threat, I mean, he made a pass between two defenders' arms. Yeah. I mean, like four arms. This ball went through, barely missing. Yeah. Like arm hairs moved. Yeah, he's a great point guard. Yeah. It's it there's a commonality here in terms of football in that you're not going to you you don't want to set out to run an 18 play drive where you hand off to your running back and get three yards in a cloud of dust because something's going to go wrong in those 18 plays more often than not how much better would it be to have Tom Brady throw three passes and score a touchdown just moving the ball down the field and they set up the rules in the NFL to make the passing game easier on teams and be able to move the ball through the through the air so that you can score more quickly that's the same thing as the three-point line in basketball why keep trying to make you know uh, contested layups and eight foot shots when you can just shoot 70 your what 70 you know 27 foot uh, shots yeah. routinely why and and not work as hard i agree which is exactly what i'm hoping kids in the gym today don't emulate and actually continue to work on ba- regular basketball skills instead of just being like Steph. but but i also want to talk about kids emulating players because bryce harper recently just brought up this whole sort of mess in baseball um mm. And, and and I think there's an argument here about kids in baseball that's sort of lost in this mess. Uh, let's talk about the mess first. Okay. Bryce Harper came out and said, baseball is, you know, becoming old and boring, basically, right? right? Yes, yeah. That uh, we need more players like himself, Mike Trout, Cespedes driving his crazy cars. Cam Newton training. really was the point. Cam yeah. Newton, right. That, that, it's, that we need guys who who are putting it out there, have lots of personality and right. instead of this. Where their hearts on their sleeves right. are colorful. They are demonstrative and are like Jose Batista, it's flipping the, the flipping the bat. The bat. Right. This is all in, in sort of uh, response to Goose Gossage, right? Right. And so Goose Gossage comes out and, and makes a comment about how uh, those players aren't respecting the game. It's a gentleman's game. And uh, they need to respect the rules or the unwritten rules that we've talked about in That's baseball right. that you don't flip the bat, you don't. You know, you, you don't uh, stare down a pitcher. Right. The pitcher doesn't stare down a batter when he strikes him out. You don't, don't tug on Superman's cape. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so 
when we've talked about these before, these sort of unwritten rules, what to do, what not to do. And we, yeah. I think we've sort of all come to the conclusion with our celebration podcast a couple weeks ago that uh, the games police themselves, right? Jose Batista flips the bat. He's going to get a fastball near his face the next time he's up. And, and he knows that too. Right. He should. Right. Um, and, and there are people that have a problem with that. The question is, should now Jose Batista flip that bat? That was a big bat flip, but that wasn't a playoff game or a world series game. Right? No, the playoff game. Playoff was, game? Yeah. Uh, Stakes it, were high. Yeah, this was this was actually this wasn't even the American League Championship Series. This is the division. This series is the division Texas. Series. Yeah. Still a big game. Still, and, and, well, and it was following an extraordinary series of plays in the previous half inning, which we don't need to go into. We've, if you if you don't if you haven't seen it, you got to go got to go see it. Right. Where uh, it just seemed like the gods were against the Blue Jays. So and they the, got a the break. context, yeah, right. the context in which he hit that home run was fairly extraordinary. I feel like people are cool with that bat flip. That was. I don't know if they're cool with it, but by and large, I'd agree they excuse it. They excuse it. Because right? of the context, right. yeah. Um, but if this were, you know, April, right. op- you know, last week of April, beginning of May, and Jose oh, yeah. Batista's flipping the bat, which he does, mm-hmm. uh, Big yeah, Poppy. Yeah, if it were August, he's getting something yeah. in his ear Big the next Poppy time does up. the same kind of thing. Manny yeah. used to do it all the time. Right. Manny Ramirez. Um, there are pitchers that pump their fists when they get at that that third strike. Yes, they do. Who is the pitcher, the the mad Hungarian? The, Al Hrabowski. Al Hrabowski. He played yes, for like. He was the with the Royals. Right. And, so, and, and he would. And maybe the Cardinals. He would stand with his, If I remember correctly, he would Missouri. stand with his back to the plate. Yeah. He was a closing pitcher, right? He was a reliever, yeah. So he would he would stand with his back to the plate and get all pumped up, really pumped up. Yep. And then he would like pound his fist into his glove and turn right. around and ready to pitch. Yes. But let's point out that was pre pitch. Right. And that not, wasn't a response not, to, to success. That enough. was psyching himself up to make the, so that was, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, Mark Fidrich in that there was personality <laughs> in that, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't aimed at a particular player and diminishing that player because it was before they competed. But Babe Ruth pointing to the stands with his bat. Which may not have happened. Uh, and that he did it before the pitch. That's Okay, so right? we're, we're talking specifically then about guys that yeah, do because, that Yeah, because that, it's, talk about unwritten rules. It has long been held that you can say anything you want if you're going to back it up. But you can't say anything you want after you've backed it up is essentially the rule. <laughs> Right? That's, That's what we're saying. That's a stupid eh, It's all about timing. Uh, let me say, let me talk briefly about what this is not. Okay. Because there's a, a radio guy, a radio personality, mm-hmm. big guy uh, in the radio personality world who came out and made this claim that Gossage was being a racist. But he said, you know, whenever his quote was, whenever we hear a player talking about doing things the right way, we really mean the white way. And my first thought was Bryce Harper brought this up and also mentioned Mike Trout. And also there are plenty of... Black baseball players, Dominican baseball players, Haitian baseball players, Puerto Rican baseball players, who uh, Colombian baseball, uh, Colombian baseball players, Cuban, who were very classy, who never said anything. Right. It's not a white and black issue or a white and racial. It's not a racial issue at all. This guy's a moron. Well, uh, I, 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 one of the things that I find funny about it, to the side of this, it's sort of parallel, is that I think Mike Trout. I, to a certain extent, somewhere was just like, why are you bringing me into this? Because <laughs> right. when I think of Mike Trout, I don't think of a guy who is overly demonstrative on the field. I see a guy who's he's engaged, but yes. I don't I don't see the difference between, say, Mike Trout and, for lack of a better term, I don't want to always make this guy the, the guy we come back to, but Derek Jeter, like guys that were passionate on the field, but I don't see Mike Trout you know, doing the kind of stuff no. that we've seen Bryce, Bryce Harper do. And, and in the end, let, let me point out real quickly, and I, want to, I think this is a good thing to uh, – 
good point to have a discussion on. But real quickly about Bryce Harper, one of the things that really makes him a target on this is not so much what he said or that he does sort of, you do find him sort of celebrating post-play uh, in at, at times that might not deserve it contextually. This is also a guy who doesn't always run out ground balls. This is a guy who oftentimes, you know, will pop up and not run to first base. That's what Goose Gossage is responding to. It's just like you can't celebrate yourself when you succeed and act the way you do when you don't because right. that is childish. That's adolescent. That's not professional. Which, which, by the way, is exactly what Cam Newton did not do. That's right. You know, Cam Newton celebrated when he did something great. When Cam Newton was losing, you didn't see him dancing on the sidelines. You didn't see him doing anything other than try to win. That's right. I mean, maybe he was demonstrative in, you know, grabbing his head and being upset. With right, but you never... But, well, and I, I guess what I will you say is that... You never saw him not finish a play. You never saw well, him... Well, we except did. Except when he didn't... <laughs> Up that fumble, exactly. right? Wait a minute. And so <laughs> that, but, but that's that's right, one a, play. <laughs> yeah, that's a different moment because that is, that is a. Uh, it was when he didn't pick up. He didn't dive down for the fumble. Yeah, in late the in the Bowl. Super Bowl, where the where the game was largely decided, yeah. deep in his own territory, he was stripped of the ball, had an opportunity to sort of dive into a pig pile, and where he was going to take a big hit as other players were diving right. in, and backed off and didn't actually never attempted. Yeah. That was a split second, certainly emotional, certainly connected to score and his uh, experience in that game. And not really the way that he usually plays. And not, not nearly in the way that he usually plays. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't reflect well on him, but I also would say that is a singular moment in his career so far that people could point to. Right. Bryce Harper has a number of these sort of things in right. his career. And, and and that, I guess, is part of it, is that when, when he talks about Cespedes, who's, who is showing up in a different fancy car every day or on right. a horse one day, That's right. there are plenty of players like that across the history. Clyde Frazier right. wore the funkiest suits he could find. Yeah, being colorful doesn't mean disrespecting the game. Right. And I, I think that's more what Gossage was talking about, not that guys can't celebrate or guys can't be... Uh, youthful and exuberant, but there needs to be a level of respect to baseball, mm-hmm. really to every sport. But baseball is always referred to as the gentleman's game, and it's a res- you know this it's right. a classic. It game. takes itself a little too seriously. It does, but we always talk about when we talk about Jeter, we talk about Kirby Puckett, we talk about you know the greats of the game. We they're a class class act, they're a classy player. Right, but I think you find that in all in all walks, you find that you know guys that respected the game, you know Dr. J or Johnny Unitas, classy or, you guy, know, you're right, right, you know, yeah, like right. those kind of classy guys. That, right. that, that those are in all walks. I I I don't want to put baseball on the level of sanctimoniousness or uh or crying out for more respect than a, for the game more than, than, than golf sports. is. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> because well, golf please. is you know. But I guess that's the thing is like I look back through history and you, you say Dr. J. So Dr. J is a classy mm-hmm. player. Yep. There were players back then that were not classy. Well, sure. Back when the, back in the in the 90s when there were cla- certainly classy basketball players, Allen Iverson didn't want to practice. And, right. You know, he wasn't very classy. That's right. So I, I think that this is not a new... Although, although his point was well taken as well, I'll say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's the thing is we're, we're, Bryce Harper sort of bringing this up as, it's, as if it's this new thing. That young people are doing, yeah. 
Um, and I just don't see it as that new. I mean, we talked about this the other week. We talked about Cam Newton. We talked about the guys that right. guys have always celebrated in the end zone. Yeah, and I do have to say, though, without extending to the point of hyperbole, I, I don't want to discount the idea that some of this, I think, is racially motivated before. You know, that I feel like Bryce Harper was coming out in support of Batista, Cam Newton, guys who, who uh, he identifies with, even though he's, of Caucasian, Yasiel Puig was the other guy. He talked right, about. yes, exactly. Who's also a guy, by the way, who has, whose uh, day in day out commitment has been questioned yeah. more than once. Right, um, but uh, that that a lot of times this stuff gets pointed at guys of color, players of color, um, or more more often or almost exclusively. Um, the you can think of only two guys, you know, maybe Bryce Harper, if people are going to you know say that he's in that, and Johnny Menzel. And those are, and maybe Ryan Leaf, but these are extreme yeah. examples. Three, you know, there's three right there, only one of which is actually a guy who's proven it on the field. Right, right. But to, to go back to my original point yes. about this, my concern about this whole thing is kids playing sports and emulating their, their favorite players and their stars, right? Because I already see it watching Little League games and watching kids flip the bat. Sure. I see Little League kids, when they get a strike call, turn and look at the ump. These are 12-year-olds. Turn and look at the ump. I'm right. like, are you kidding me? But why are they doing it? Because oh, Bryce Harper does it. I mean, right. so does Derek Jeter, for that matter. Yeah. Well, Jeter never looked back at the ump. He just used to smile. Right. That's <laughs> but right. there's plenty of players that I respect that I thought were classy that, you know, gave a gave a snide look to an, to mm -hmm. an umpire uh, or a referee. But that's my concern is that when, when you have kids who are emulating players, uh, they're not just emulating their playing styles. They're emulating their personalities right. in the sport. I mean, listen, you and I both, I guarantee, you know, you had a batting stance that you liked and you modeled it after oh, a yeah. player that you liked. You yeah. know, I was small, so I did Rod Carew's batting stance and got as small as I could and that's got right. walked half the time. But yeah. but that was in T-ball, too. It was rough. But, <laughs> that's um, hard to do. But, it's you know, there are, there, there are great things to emulate uh, from player, you know, be like Mike mm -hmm. or batting stances you love or attitudes on the on the field. But what I don't like seeing is when we're going to start emulating kids start emulating players who don't run a ball out to first base in right. a pop up, who don't shag fly balls the way they should, yeah. and who flip the bat or mouth off to the ump. Or you know, I remember a little league game I watched where a kid hit a home run. Like he hit a ball over a kid's head. I mm -hmm. think they were like eleven years old, yeah. and hit a ball over the kid's head. And when he rounded third and ran all the way home. He was basically mouthing off to the opposing dugout, mm. and his coach grabbed him by the back of the neck and sat him on the bench and said, "You're done." Yeah, well, there's the answer. Right, you know, it, for all of these kids, it just goes directly to the guy who's standing at third base or in the dugout. There, if the coach or the manager doesn't put a stop to that, it's going to persist, and um, and and that's the problem with these these kids that do have the talent to progress through uh, to higher levels of the game, college or, you know, or professional. It, they are getting professionalized in the way in which they are commodities at younger and younger ages. You know, AAU basketball, traveling teams. We live in an area uh, in uh, New Jersey, in central New Jersey, where there's a lot of traveling teams for, right. uh, for uh, late grade school and, and, and high school sports. And to my mind, that's a mistake because you're making these kids concentrate on the game in a way that doesn't really befit their age and their maturity. But again, they're they're only emulating, you know, who they watch and how they see it, which is 
that's my biggest concern about the stuff that Bryce Harper's talking about. And be, to be clear, he's talking about wanting to see more of that and letting players be that way. Yeah. I really don't mind if Bryce Harper's that way, if Cespedes is that way, if Yasiel Puig is that way, Johnny Menzel, whatever. We're right. talking about a handful of guys. Well, and I mean, and I don't think it ruins the sport if a handful of guys act like jackass. Yeah, well, and <laughs> exactly. And I mean, as long as they play through the whistle, through the through the end of the play, all the way past the bag. Yeah, I don't care. You know, but you I, also believe in this game policing itself. So if Jose yeah. Bautista is going to continue to flip the bat. Then guess what? Well, but that's but that's the thing though. The game does. Like, we talked about like that's what we would like to see happen. Right. We'd like it to go back to that. That can't happen anymore. If a pitcher is gonna then buzz Jose Batista after that, it that that moment has happened. The umpire acknowledges it. Everybody teams. sees it. The warnings go out. Everybody, you know, or even without a warning, if if he earholes Jose Batista next time up, he's gone, and probably so is his manager. Right. And that's not the game, you know, policing itself. And obviously, I'm not. I'm not here condoning throwing at a guy's head in baseball. I mean, no. that's somebody's going to die someday from one throw of those his, things. Throw it his back. But yeah, throw it his back. You know, I mean, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Well, and speaking of baseball, opening day, opening week, very exciting. But right at the end of spring training, I called my buddy CJ LaRoche, Met fan extraordinaire, and uh, asked him about his pitching rotation, which I predicted was not going to do so well. And in fact, they gave up, I think, seven runs, and then Matt Harvey played horribly, and so did Syndergaard. So uh, here's what he had to say. And quick caveat, I give CJ 30 seconds to talk, because that's really all I can manage, and my machine cut him off through the middle of his rant. So um, here's where it picked up. I got cut off. And as far as you predicting that goes, if you think that you're predicting that a guy coming off of having blood clots removed from the inside of his stomach was going to have a tough day, wow, congratulations, Mr. Domus. It was a major league baseball team. He gave up three runs, tuning up at the end of spring training. You can't put any weight on that. You can't. You can look at that as anything other than a guy tuning up, getting ready to dominate like he did last year. <laughs> Nostradamus. Yeah, <thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, Playball Podcast is a Yes It Is production in association with Laura Haywood Media and now part of The Folio Group. For more information about The Folio Group, a really cool collection of theater-based podcasts, you can check them out at foliogroup.net. You can find out more about us at playballpodcast.com or go to iTunes, subscribe, and we'll come directly to your phone every time we post a new podcast. And of course, thanks to Sean. Playball! You're going you're gonna to run that out? I'm tired. You're a jerk. Throwing at your head. <laughs> MMA style. <laughs> <laughs>